Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3, it says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual or effective in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation." And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so, you, so shall you be also of the consolation. I want to read this to you real quick in the New Living Translation. Uh, this makes it more plain what it's saying. I'll praise the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. So that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with His comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are, comfort, we are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. So if you live in this world very long, there's something you're going to need, and that's comfort. And we live in a... We live in a world that doesn't offer very much comfort. Um, I took a definition. I, I wrote down this definition of comfort. It means to ease the grief or distress of, to console, to improve the mood of, or restore a sense of well-being to. So people are in need of comfort, but all they receive from the world is anxiety, is distress, is grief, is heartache, is worry, and sadly, a lot of times they turn to the body of Christ for comfort and they get the same thing that they get out in the world. They get fear, they get worry, they get distress, they get anxiety. But we have received a mandate from God to comfort those who are hurting. It is part of our calling as believers of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is something that I received a good grasp on early in my walk with, with Jesus because the minister that I got saved under, Phil Bryant, um, he was a comforter. And so his, you know, the, the ministry I came up under was all about comforting others. So it was something that I just got a grasp on early on. And but I want you to notice here, Paul lays this thing. I'm just laying a foundation. We're going to go somewhere. And I promise this message is going to bless you. It's something that you can apply to your life. Because what we're going to minister on this morning is what kind of comforter are you? There are three types of comforters. There's a miserable comforter. There's a lying comforter. And then there's a true comforter. Someone who actually 
comforts biblically in the way that people need to be comforted. But Paul lays out uh, lays something out here this morning. He says the first thing we have to do is when we have trouble, we have to learn how to receive comfort. Okay, we have to understand that God's very nature is to comfort us in our trouble. Not trouble us when we're trying to be comforted, but to comfort us when we're being troubled. That is His nature. Paul said there, he said, He is the source of all comfort. If someone in some way comforts you, God somehow was the source behind that comfort. No matter who it came through, no matter what it came from, God was the source of that comfort. Now, I'm not talking about drowning out your sorrows because people think that's comfort. That's not comfort. It's not suppressing it, okay? How do I know if I've been comforted? The, the Romans chapter 15 verse 4 says, through the, patience and, and through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, you might have hope. So comfort always produces hope. So, if I have hope, what is hope? A confident expectation of good. If I have a confident expectation of good, then I've been comforted. If I don't, if I still look at my future with dread or look at my past with regret, I have not been comforted because I don't have the fruit of hope in my life. But when I have hope, I know I've been comforted. And I know God is the source of that comfort whether it came through someone here, whether it came through you know, something else, God was the one who orchestrated and inspired that comfort. Okay? So re- remember, Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as another comforter. So this implies to us first that His ministry was one of comfort. That's what He came to do, was to comfort. Secondly, it tells us that the Holy Spirit's job is to comfort us. That just as we know Jesus as Lord, we know the Holy Spirit as comforter. Okay? So that's important to know. So we're to receive this comfort, and then we're to give this comfort. Okay? And and that is part of our calling to be peacemakers and ministers of reconciliation. So... The question is this morning, everyone in here, when you're around someone who's going through something, when you're around someone who's troubled, you try to comfort them in some way. The problem is, a lot of us, not not in this room, I mean in general, people, the body of Christ, everyone included, the problem is most of us are bad at doing it. We're not really sure how to do it. And most of the time we turn to what I, you know, I spoke about it last week, cliche Christianity. We pull out, every, we pull out the cliches that we've heard you know, and think that that might help. And let, let me tell you something. If you've seen it on a meme on Facebook, it's probably not a good idea to use it in a comforting situation. I'm just going to tell you, been there, done that, it, it, it rarely works. And as someone who's been troubled, it makes me want to punch you. Okay? Um, so let me, let me be honest with you. So... This message, I just spent the weekend officiating a funeral. It's what, um, I, you know, I do a lot of funerals, but uh, yesterday I, I did a funeral, um, and, and a lady came up to my wife after, and, and I didn't hear her say this, but my wife told me this after. She said, that's the most comforting message that I've ever heard at a funeral. 
And I pride myself on one thing, and that's how I do funerals. And I'm not bragging on myself because I learned through trial and error. The way I do funerals is I have two goals. I want to honor the one who is gone, and I want to comfort those who are here. And I, I, like I said, I learned that through trial and error because in my 14 years of doing funerals, man, I used to look at it like this is my time to shine. They need the gospel, and I'm about to give it to them. And that's the wrong way of looking at it. Because you don't have to preach hellfire, brimstone, you know, whatever you want to call it, to give people comfort. Honoring the one who has went on before, them, before us, uh, that's comforting. You know, um, but let me tell you where this message comes from. Like I said, I, I, spent, yet, I spent the weekend officiating a funeral, and that's, that's what brought this to my heart. But um, this is what this message is based on. For those of you who know us, for those of you who don't know us, uh, our 11-year-old son went to be with Jesus two years ago, July two years ago. Um, I will never forget that moment, right? There are just some things, some moments in your life in which time stands still. And the moment that my wife called me and told me he, he had passed, time stood still. But the moment that I'm actually talking about was I got to the hospital, someone came and picked me up, took me to the hospital, and they dropped me off with Keisha. And, you know, at the time there was a lot of people there, but they left and it was just us. And God bless their hearts, but I guess it's their job, but the chaplains came to us. Again, God bless their heart. I'm going to be really careful what I say because I'll put this on the radio in Hazard, and that's where it took place. Um, they were awful at what they were doing. Like, I mean, it's a somber situation, right? But, I mean, I joke about it now. Like, these fellers were horrible at their job. Like, if your job is the comfort, I'm giving you an F. And I even told them at one point, I'm like, listen, I'm a pastor. You can go. You know, I've got this. I'm the one who needs it, but I can handle this better than you can take care of it. So just... But they were so bad because here we were... Here we was, we just lost our son. It was unexpectedly. We did not go to bed the night before thinking the next night our son wouldn't be with us. It was very unexpected. But, so it's, it's a shock. And all we wanted in that moment was each other. And these, these men, again, bless their hearts, they apparently could not stand the silence. So they just had to talk. They just sat across from us and just talked. Well, if your son knew Jesus, wrong time. Wrong time. So if you're, you're ever with someone and they lose someone, it's not your time to say, well, if they knew Jesus. Now, if you knew they knew Jesus, yes. But don't ask. Well, if they, Don't say, well, if they knew Jesus. You, you immediately, you know, they, like the, this funeral I officiated the other day, when they got up with me and told me that, Praise God, she's with Jesus, right? So, but, you know, and he's like, well, you know, if he knew Jesus. And I'm like, dude, my 11-year-old son never spoke. He never ate by mouth. He never walked. Like, he's good, right? 
He's good. Now, I, I wasn't being mean to them. I, I was, most of the time, I just, I stayed calm because, again, I'm in shock. But I learned a lesson through that. You know, when I go through things like that, the way I look at it is not, wow, that person was so terrible, even though this morning I'm preaching a message on how terrible they were. That shows you how terrible they were. But um, I take a lesson from it for myself. What can I learn from this? And what I learned was how to not comfort people. Okay? And over those following days, as we went through this, um, I can't tell you how sick I became of cliches. Well, you know, God needed him. God don't need him. Have you ever read in the Bible how many angels Jesus has? He don't need, he don't need a kid. All right? God doesn't take them, but he receives them. All right? And I share that with you guys all the time. So, you know, all these cliches, I could go into all of them. I'm not going to do that. But um, in those days, I just learned how to not comfort people. And that helped me in learning how to comfort people. So um, here's what I'm going to ask this morning. What kind of comforter are you? Are you a miserable one? And we're going to get to that. Go ahead and go to Job chapter 16, verse 1. Are you a miserable one? Are you a lying one? Or are you a good one? And I pray this morning that when you leave, you will know how to better comfort people in their time of trouble. All right? Job chapter 16, and we're going to begin with verse 1. So, you know the story of Job. There's a lot I could say, but I've preached a whole message on it before. But so Job lost everything in a matter of hours. He lost, like I'm talking about my experience losing one kid. Job, in, in a matter of moments, lost all of his kids. He lost all of his health, and he lost all of his wealth. He lost everything. And now he had a bad marriage on top of that. Because his wife said, listen, won't you just curse God and die? All right? So Job was hit all around. Job, can we agree that Job was troubled? Right? Job was in a situation where he needed comfort. And thank God that he had a few Baptist friends. <laughs> now, I say that. Listen, I say that jokingly, but most of you know I got I, my, my first... Uh, uh, I got started in ministry in a Baptist church, and the pastor that I got started under, that, that was his line. He used to say, thank God for Job's Baptist friends. He had to be, they had to be Baptist. And, uh, but anyways, so Job is going through a terrible time. And what we find when you read through Job is his friends just couldn't shut up. They just couldn't shut up. Um, they had, what they did was they continually pointed out, okay, Job, you've had to sin somewhere. Somewhere you've sinned. Somewhere you've blown it and brought this on yourself. And, and then on top of that, every time he said something that was wrong doctrinally, they tried to correct him. Look what Job says about them. Job chapter 16, verse 1. Then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. In other words, I've, I've, I, I can't believe all the stuff I'm hearing. Okay? Miserable comforters are you all. 
Shall vain words have an end? Or what emboldens you that you answer me? What, who are you to be giving me these doctrinal lessons in this moment? All right? I also could speak as you do. If your soul were in my soul's stead, I could heap up words against you and shake my head at you. He's saying, listen, you're saying it's because of some fault of mine. If roles were reversed, I could do the same thing to you. Why? Because we've all got faults. right? We've all got something in our life that we could point at if we believe uh, this doctrinally that, well, God brought this on us. We've all got something in our life that we can point at and say, well, this is why God is doing this. All right? Um, verse 5. But I would strengthen you. Listen, Job. I would strengthen you with my mouth and the moving of my lips should assuage your grief. Though, though I speak, my grief is not assuaged. And though I forbear, what am I eased? But now he has made me weary. You have made desolate all my company. Listen to this. And you have filled me with wrinkles. <laughs> These were those chaplains at the hospital. You stink at your job. You make really good Baptists, but really bad chaplains, okay? I'm not against Baptists. I love, I, I did a funeral with, with, with some Baptists. I love these people, okay? And they're some of my best friends in the world. I'm just, just joking. But, um, so here, here's the thing. When you read the book of Job, a lot of people want, don't, don't see this, or they won't admit this. When you read the book of Job, you're reading a conversation between Job, his friends, and eventually God shows up at the end. All right, in the beginning and at the end, we got some storytelling, but for the most part, it's conversational. When you read what Job's friends said and compare it with what he said, you know who had the better doctrine? Job's friends. Job's doctrine stinks. Read it. Read the book. Job's doctrine, most of it was a stench in God's nostrils. And that's why he showed up at the end. And he had to correct Job. Now, he corrected his friends for their pompous attitude, but he, he, Job's doctrine was horrible. And so he was very self-righteous. Right? Job, over and over again, you see him saying, if God was standing here, here's what I would say to him. I've not done anything wrong. Right? You, you see his self-righteousness popping up over and over again. But here's the problem. He's got these friends who are more than glad to tell him where his doctrine is wrong. The man just lost his kids. His wife's got one foot out the door. He's lost all source of income, and he's lost his health. He's covered in boils. He's sick. He does not need his doctrine corrected at this moment. He needs comfort. All right? So... When someone, listen, I've picked on the Baptists, now let me pick on the Charismatics. We are horrible at this. Because we think when someone's going through something that it's the time to teach them the principles of faith. It's time to teach them about the Old and New Covenant. Don't you know? Don't you know God's not doing that to you? Don't you know? All right? We think it's a time to teach them about how Jesus went about healing all. And that we need to teach them how if they would just have faith, they can receive healing as we lay their hand, our hands on them. All right? 
Is there a time to teach people? Yes, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. But in this moment, that's not what Job needed. Job needed someone to listen. Job needed someone to sit with him and to let him vent. I tell people all the time, because, you know, I thank God for the principles of faith. I thank God for there's power. Uh, life and death is in the power of the tongue. I thank God for that. But listen, there are sometimes you just need to let people vent. Let them get the unbelief out. Let them get the doubt out. Let them get the worry out, the anxiety out. Just let them vent. Because you know there, were, there are times that I've been hiding and, 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 and putting unbelief is in my heart about something. And when I find someone who would just sit there and listen, the moment I'm finished, it's like, oh. And all of a sudden, I can get in faith about it. Because I've got it out. I've heard myself say it. And I know how ridiculous it sounds because I know the truth. All right, so, so there are times... When, when you're around someone who needs comfort, you first and foremost need to just listen. Because you don't know what they need unless you're first willing to listen to them. If you will listen to people in a situation, they will tell you what they need. They may not say, this is what I need. But if you will listen and be led by the Spirit, you will hear exactly what it is that they need. In that moment, we wanted no chaplains, right? Think about the times that Jesus would go to heal someone, like someone had died. Have you, ever, have you ever read in the accounts, he would clear the room. He would make everyone leave because he knew that wasn't the time for, for certain ideas, certain people, certain ways of looking at things. So that moment in the hospital with, after George had moved to heaven, we needed two things. We needed silence and we needed someone to listen. Okay? So we didn't want the chaplains, but you know, Jeremiah sent me a text. He said, man, do you want me and Stacy to come? And I said, yes. All right? We turned away a lot of family that day. Not at our house, but just calls, messages. I mean, by the time I went to bed, I'd probably received 100 calls, texts, and messages. We ignored a lot of them. But we wanted the two people in our home who we knew would give us what we needed. If we needed silence, they'd give us the silence. If we needed to cry, they would let us cry. If we needed to vent some anger, they would let us vent some anger. If we needed to laugh, they would, they would let us laugh. All right? See, they were good comforters in that situation. In that day, we dealt with some miserable comforters and we dealt with some good comforters. I want us to be good comforters. All right? And so... When you're going around, when you're around someone who's hurting, let them lead. That's my advice to you. Let them lead. Listen to them. Listen to what they need. Some people just need your presence. They just need you to be there. Don't feel like you have to say something. Because, listen, when you feel like you have to say something, you're going to mess it up. You're going to say something that is, going to, that is going to offend or hurt or upset them. More likely than you are to help them. If, if, if you're not being led to say something, just shut up. If you don't know what to say, just shut up. I tell people all the time, people get, get up with me about a situation, you know what I tell them all the time? I don't know what to say. 
I'm here if you need to talk. I'm here to listen, but I don't know what to say. Okay? And then there's times people just want you to leave them alone. There were times in, in the days after our loss, I just had to go in his bedroom and cry alone. And I told people, I'm going in here. I don't want nobody to come in here. Leave me alone. I don't want nobody to call me. I don't want nobody to text me. I don't want nobody knocking on the door. Just leave me alone. That was good for me. That was good for me. See, we've got to stop assuming, well, that wouldn't be good for me. Stop assuming that's not good for them. Okay? In that moment, that may be what they need. See, the Holy Spirit, and this is why it's so important to be led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, again, He's known as the Comforter, and He's inside you. If you will listen, He will lead you. In these moments, He will tell you what you need to do. He will, he will bring to your attention what someone needs in that moment, again, as you listen to them. He'll all of a sudden emphasize that. Did you notice that? That's what they need. Okay? Go with me to Romans chapter 12, verses 10 through 15. And I want to read this quickly. You know, over the last few months, or over the last couple of years, I guess, the body of Christ as a whole, I think, has failed when it comes to these verses. And so much so that when I get on Facebook and I see some of the stuff that we're posting, it, it, it breaks my heart. Because I think we're failing in these areas. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessities of saints given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Verse 15 is the reason I'm here. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Our culture is so divisive and so political right now that we've replaced weep with those who weep with let's inform those who are clearly misinformed. Their opinion's different than mine. I need to tell them why they're wrong. I need to persuade them to my side rather than weep with those who weep. Okay? There are... There are we're such, right now, we have such a prideful generation. And our faith is more in us being right than it is in the one that dwells within us. Okay? Listen, guys, all these COVID arguments and stuff, listen, I'm all for you having your opinions on vaccinations and masks and, and your, your personal liberties. I'm all for you having, having a say-so in those things. I'm all for that. I believe that. But while you're doing that, and while you're, don't forget to weep with those who are hurting. Don't act like no one has lost someone to COVID. Don't act like no one isn't in the hospital on a ventilator with COVID. All right? I don't care if you told me only one person has actually died of COVID. That one family is worth me weeping with. That one family is worth me comforting if I have that opportunity. Weep with those who weep. In, in, in your passion, in your zeal for, for truth, don't forget compassion. All right? Compassion. Truth and compassion always have to go hand in hand. And when they don't, you know what you're dealing with? Jerks. 
When you find someone who's got the truth, but they're not compassionate, they're always a jerk. Let's not be that people. And here's something I want to say too. You need to know your influence. This is so important. I can't tell you over the years how many, how many ministers I've seen think that everyone cares about what they have to say about a doctrine, a situation, you know, a, a news event, something. And so they're arguing with everybody. They're, 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 they're harping on this thing over and over. And here's the problem. Nobody cares. For years, I realized that my influence is right here in this church. I realized that I'm, I'm, for the most part, you guys, the only ones care what I got to say. Now, I'm not talking about, I'm not including, I'm talking about the body of Christ, not my family and stuff. And now that has changed some. And I know the, the circles, I know the churches, I know the ministries where I have influence and I can speak into. But you got to stop thinking that everyone within the sound of your voice is being influenced by you. That they, and, by, and what I mean by that is that they actually care what you have to say. In that moment, I did not give a crap what those chaplains had to say. I didn't care. Didn't care. I cared what Jeremiah and Stacy had to say. I did not care what those chaplains had to say. Okay, so it's important that you know your influence. So here's why I say that. Do they want your comfort? Do they care about what you have to offer them? Where are they? See, when people are hurting more than information, they need compassion. And again, that's where us charismatics have really went wrong. And here's the thing. So yeah, but, but you said Job was wrong about all this stuff. He was blaming God, and you said that God's not doing this stuff. Wasn't they right to speak up and to say, no, Job, you're wrong? Listen, you answer questions that people ask. If someone asks you a question, you answer it. Don't answer questions someone's not asking. If they're not asking you a question, don't answer it. And if you do, I want, to, I want you to hear my country accent when you, when you feel that coming up. If you feel that you have, to, you have to speak up, you just have to, even though they're not asking, you're in pride. Your ego is getting in the way. Okay? Psalm 69, verse 20. And let me say this. Who? So, the book of Job is 40, it's like 30, some, it's 42 chapters as a whole, but the book of Job is like 30 some chapters of blabbermouths. It's like just a it's like just a just a, a, a denominational convention that ultimately no one cares about. It's it, it, it's 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 I, I have shared with you guys here. I love the Bible. My least favorite book in the Bible is Job because it's just blabbermouth. It's people giving opinions that no one cares about. There's doctrine being corrected that although is right, it's not what the person needs in that situation. But who eventually lined Job out? God showed up in a whirlwind. And what happened in the end was Job repented. He said, I've spoken about things that I knew nothing about. See, a lot of people miss that. In the end, Job says, I was wrong about everything I've said. Trust God to line people out. 
and he might eventually do it through you, but don't think that, that, that you know, if that person's not asking, don't think it's your duty to line them out. All right? Psalm 69, verse 20. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness, and I looked for some to take pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. May this never be said of anyone at Grace Point Church. I needed a comforter, but I found none. May this never be said in our lives. So that is a miserable comforter. Now, if you got mad about some things I said about politics, you're going to love this one, okay? Because I'm going to make the other people mad with this one. There's miserable comforters. Now there's lying comforters. Now, although it was wrong for Job's friends to try to answer questions he wasn't asking, it would have been just as wrong as Job say, God did this to me, and them say, Amen. Now, should they have been silent? Yes, be silent you know, in that moment. But it would have been wrong for them to go along with him to save his feelings. I've told people, listen, if I have to choose between your feelings and God's character, I will always choose God's character. I don't care to hurt your feelings. Okay? So... There is this counterculture. This is counterculture of miserable comforters. Miserable comforters are those people who, who they, they speak when they shouldn't. Lying comforters are those who don't speak when they should. Okay? This is normally the result of not knowing how to help those that are hurting. That's normally, that's normally what this is the result of. So... Go with me to Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20. Right now, there is a push in our culture by lying comforters that we are somehow responsible for what people did hundreds of years ago. And lying comforters, because they don't know how to respond to that, they say, you're right. You're right. We have to do something about this right now. You're right. Even though the problem that they're complaining about was solved 200 years ago, we still have to do something about it now. Ezekiel 18, verse 20 through 22. Listen to this. The soul that sins, it shall die. Now remember, we're talking here about something, we're talking about an old covenant principle, but it's, it's, it's a principle, we, there's something we can learn from it today. The soul that sins, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he has committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die." All his transgressions that he has committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he has done, he shall live. So, there's a biblical principle here that we're not responsible for anything that our ancestors did. And they're not responsible for anything that we do. I can't go around beating myself up over something my dad did. And he can't go around beating himself up over something I did. 
The principle is, listen, if, if things have been made right, if things have been repented of, then you need to forgive it and let it go. Okay? Why is this so dangerous, what we're seeing right now in our culture? Because of unforgiveness. It is unforgiveness. And unforgiveness is dangerous. It is dangerous. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus taught about unforgiveness over and over. And people have misunderstood it. A lot of well-meaning faith people have took it and said, well, see right there, God says if you're in unforgiveness, He won't forgive you, or He won't forgive you, He won't heal you, He won't bless you because you've got unforgiveness. No, He's given us a kingdom principle. Forgiveness and unforgiveness, that's not a law principle. It's a kingdom principle. Jesus didn't come teaching the law. I've preached on that a thousand times here. Jesus was not a preacher of the law. Jesus was a preacher of the kingdom. He lived under the law, but he preached the kingdom. Jesus plainly said that the law was until John. But since then, every man suffer, the kingdom suffers violence and everyone's pressing into it. So Jesus was saying, listen, the law stopped with John. And since then, we're preaching the kingdom. Okay? So forgiveness, unforgiveness. Jesus was teaching kingdom principles. Well, yeah, but didn't Paul say, Jesus said forgive to be forgiven, but Paul taught we forgive because we are forgiven. They said that, but you're missing it. What Jesus was talking about is, listen, God can't heal you of anything that you refuse to let go. Anything that you choose to harbor in your heart, listen, God can't stop the fruit that is inevitably going to grow from that bad seed. That's what he's saying. See, the word forgive means to send away. If you won't send something away out of your heart, God can't send away all the bad results of it in your life. That's what that means. So which is it? Do I forgive to be forgiven or do I forgive because I am forgiven? It's both. You can't be healed of anything that you won't treat. And we forgive, we comfort, we do these things because we've already received these things. There is, there is no difference. Okay? So, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. Now listen here. In 1 Corinthians, Paul had to deal with a situation of sin in the church. He had to, he had to use some correction. There was a man, scholars kind of debate on exactly what was going on, but the primary view is that there was a man who was sleeping with his mother-in-law. That he was having a sexual affair with his mother-in-law. And the church at Corinth, because they were getting a hold of the new covenant and grace and things like this, they were like, they were almost bragging about it. They were like, see, we accept everybody. We're good with everybody. Okay? And Paul said, listen, we got to do something about this. Because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. What was he saying? Listen, if you allow this, don't be surprised when other stuff starts popping up in the congregation. Okay? So, Paul told them how to deal with the man. And it was ultimately a form of excommunication. You can call it whatever you want to. Like I said, scholars, you know, kind of debate on exactly what happened. But one way or another, it was effective. It worked. And this is what Paul is talking about here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. In other words, I, you know, I had to correct you guys so much in 1 Corinthians, because that church was a mess. 
He said, and before I wrote this letter, I determined that I, I, this letter would be more lighthearted. It would, be, it would come more from love than anything else. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that makes me glad? But the same which is made sorry by me. And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I come, I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears. See, Paul was a godly leader. He did not take pleasure out of correcting this man. He said, I wrote that letter to you with tears. It broke my heart that we were having to go to this measure with this man. That's a godly leader. Not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. We're going to get to this minute. Love always corrects. Verse 5, But if any have caused grief, he has not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment or censure which was inflicted of many. So what I take this to mean is there were certain people this man was close with and they had to turn. They had to say, listen, we've got to remove ourselves from your life. You've got to stop this. This is destructive. This is hurting you. This is hurting her. This is hurting your family. This is hurting your church. This is hurting all of us. I've got, I've, we've got to separate ourselves from you. We've, I've had to do that in my life, and I'm sure everyone in here has. People you love, but you have to separate yourself from them because of the road they're going down. All right? That's godly wisdom. Verse 7, So that contrariwise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. In other words, when we've seen him turn around, We've seen him stop this ungodly behavior. Now is the time to forgive him and to comfort him. Not beat him up. All right? Verse 8. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you whether you be obedient in all things. Listen to this. Verse 10 and 11 is why we're here. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive, or if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it for your sakes, forgave I it in the person of Christ. Verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, what was he talking about leading into verse 11? Forgiveness and unforgiveness. So he was, he told them here, listen. This man has repented. we got to be quick to forgive. Because if we don't forgive, Satan gets an advantage. So whenever we're harboring unforgiveness in our heart towards someone, towards a group of people, towards a, 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 a nation, a government, a family, whatever, we are giving Satan an advantage. He's about to knock on the door. And if you don't answer, he's going he's gonna to knock it down. Because unforgiveness is dangerous. Does it mean you're not saved? No. Does it mean God's not with you? No. But there are practical... Listen, this thing's practical. And it, 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 it puts roots in your heart that you don't want there. It's going to cause a harvest that you don't want. Now, wherever there's unforgiveness, there's strife. Remember where I said wherever there's comfort, there's hope? Wherever there's unforgiveness, there's strife. Go with me to James chapter 3, verses, we're going to begin with verse 13. 
So James is going to address this situation. Well, not this specific situation, but what we're talking about here. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation or a good conduct his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts... See, that's where unforgiveness... Jesus' primary ministry... See, it wasn't to come and teach people the law. Jesus said that his most important teaching was the parable of the sower. He said, if you don't understand this teaching, you won't understand anything I give. So when I hear people saying, well, Jesus was a teacher of the law, I realize that they don't understand the parable of the sower. Because the parable of the sower, here was what Jesus taught us his ministry was about. How to get the Word of God working in your heart. That's what Jesus came to teach. We call that the kingdom of God. The Old Testament called it living days of heaven upon the earth. Okay? So, here is James right here. Listen here. He says, Strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. Verse 15. This wisdom descends from a, not from above, but is earthly, sensual, or natural, and devilish, or demonic. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. So if there's unforgiveness, strife. Strife, every evil work. Why? Because Satan has an advantage. See, for, for years, the church has taught, well, you know, when you sin, Satan's got an open door. No, listen, when you refuse to forgive people, when you operate in strife, that's what gives Satan an advantage. Right? Don't let him have it. Wherever, anytime you see a family, a people, or a nation in strife, evil is going to increase. Evil is going to increase. So, let's keep reading here. Verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. Listen to this. Gentle. And easy to be entreated. It doesn't get mad when someone brings up something to it. Listen here. Full of mercy and good fruits. Listen to this. Without partiality. So if there is an idea out there that's pushing that we don't forgive a certain people, a certain race, a certain nation, God's not in it. Because why? Because God's wisdom is without partiality. God's wisdom is good for everyone. See, this is what people miss about the Old Covenant law. We're not ministers of the Old Covenant. But listen, I'm a student of history. Study all of the other documents around that time. I'm telling you, it is amazing how beautiful God's commandments were to His people. Because we're in, in other nations and other religions and other people groups, there was no rights for women. There was no rights for children. There was no rights for other nationalities and races to come in. But God's law gave women. Listen, when the husband suspected they were cheating, listen, he made it to where the woman, listen, she could defend herself. Okay? There, there, it's just, it is beautiful. And I highly recommend sometime, 
get away from the Christian commentaries on the Old Covenant law and, and get a Jewish one and you will be amazed at how they see it. They didn't see it as this burdensome, horrible command. Right? They seen God's equality in it. One commentary I recommend to everybody. Listen, pl- I'm going to just plug this right here. Dennis Prager of Prager U. He wrote a commentary on Exodus. I'm telling you, that book should be a must read for in everyone because he breaks down the wisdom in every commandment. Okay, I'm off there on something I didn't mean to get onto. So, all right. So, remember, where's the balance here? Remember, miserable comforters are those who speak when they should. Lying comforters are those who, sh- who don't speak when they should. All right? When people are hurting right now, going through something right now, you let them lead Right? You, you be sensitive to the Spirit. But on the flip side, when someone is hurting and they need comfort, but they keep living in the past, there has to be some correction. There, there has to come that moment where you got to say, you got to move on. And remember, I'm not talking about something that right now is going on. Like, like with our son, he had just died right now. I'm talking about you know people who something happened... Ten years ago, in our culture right now, uh, thousands of years, two, hundreds and thousands of years ago, there comes a moment when we got to say, "Listen, you got to get over it. You got to let God heal your heart. You got to forgive those who have offended you, and you got to move on." Okay, so these are lying comforters. Because here, guys, here's the truth. Listen to me. This. Listen to this. Love always corrects, because love knows the life-giving power of the truth. Nothing is more powerful than the truth. So, so love will always correct. All right, so there's a balance there. Let's go, we're about to finish up. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 14. For the love of Christ constrains us, because we, we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Verse 15, And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh. We don't know them according to a race, We don't know them according to a gender. We don't know them according to a past. We know them in Christ, right? We don't know them after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we Him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, here's why we're here. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. For now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God." 
true comforters. So we talked about miserable comforters. We talked about lying comforters. Now we're going to talk about true comforters. These are the people after God's own heart. True comforters are those who look at a situation of trouble and they have one goal, to reconcile heaven and earth, to bring heaven down to earth, to, 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 uh, to make this environment look more like heaven than it does the earth. That is a true comforter. So a comforter in a situation of trouble will assess the situation as we've talked about. They will be spirit-led in what needs to be said and how this needs to be handled. And their one goal is to be the ambassador of Christ in this situation. It's to ask, what would Jesus do in this situation? See, because again, I'm always amazed by people who are on one side of something and they totally ignore that this middle road is, is obviously the way to go. You know, it's like, you know, it's like I've heard people say, well, you know, Jesus would wear a mask. And it's like, well, come on. Jesus touched lepers, right? And he wasn't wearing a mask. He, he, just, he was bringing heaven to earth. But at the same time, when Lazarus died, Jesus wept. Now, Jesus knew he was going to raise him from the dead. But he still wept. He still chose to weep with those who weep. So I'm not saying don't wear a mask. I'm, I'm, I'm saying just in, in situations, do what Jesus would do. Okay? And here's what I know Jesus would do. He would do whatever it is that person needs the most. Okay? The word reconciliation has a twofold meaning. First, it means to exchange. This is when we get into teaching people about the goodness of God that God is not punishing you, that God is not holding your sins against you, that He's not withholding blessing from you. Why? Because Jesus exchanged all of your bad for His good, all of your sin for His righteousness. So we can boldly go to someone in any given situation and say your problems are not from God. Right? And even if we don't, you know, again, like we was talking about earlier, even if that situation, we don't say it, we go into it with that truth established in our hearts. And when the time comes, we're going to be able to speak it. And we're going to be able to share it. All right? And the next meaning of, of reconciliation is restoration to favor or placed in right standing, we call this. Do you know the word righteousness in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew? It just means as it should be. See, this is a good comforter. This is a true comforter. A comforter goes into this situation and says, is this how things should be? What can I do to get it closer to how it should be? Listen here. In this fallen world, we will never be in Eden. But I'm going to get as close as I can to experiencing Eden while I'm here in this fallen world. I'm going to get as close to heaven on earth as I can get. All right? And part of that begins with being an ambassador for Christ and knowing how to minister to people. The, the prophet Ezekiel, in the latter chapters, he's seen this temple. Who's the temple? We are. And he's seen this river flowing out from under the temple. 
And it says, you know, Ezekiel says, I walked in the river, it came up to my ankles. I walked a little farther, it came up to my knees. I walked a little farther, it came up to my hips. And then eventually it was almost over my head. And then he, he looks and he says, everywhere the rivers went, and scholars will tell you that where it went to was the Dead Sea where nothing can live. And he says, everywhere the river went, there was healing and there was life. It is symbolically representative of us, the temple of God, who had the Holy Spirit flowing through us. And everywhere that we minister to people on some level, life and healing are the result. If life and healing aren't the result, we are miserable or lying comforters. Okay? So... See, here was the problem with Job's friends. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. We're going to close there. Here was the problem with Job's friends. They were more concerned with, with teaching him about God or connecting him to knowledge about God than they were about connecting him to God. They thought they could comfort him with all their information. And Jesus comes along, and let me ask you something. Did Jesus give correct information? Everything he taught was the truth. Everywhere you read, it says Jesus would teach them and heal them. All right, So he always taught uh, to go along with healing. Teaching is my passion. Doctrine is my passion. You guys know that. A kind of message like this is kind of out of the norm for me. All right, Normally I'm teaching on doctrine and things like that. But listen, there comes a time you have to understand... Information without compassion is vain. It's useless. The Apostle Paul put it this way, I can know all the mysteries of God, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 1. I've been reading through the book of Isaiah in my own personal time. I love these verses. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. This is our mandate, to comfort God's people. Speak ye comfortably to her. I love this. My Bible says here in the, in the margin that this could say, Speak ye to the heart of Jerusalem. See, that's what comfort is. You're not trying to, do, uh, you're not trying to modify someone's behavior. You're not trying to correct their doctrine. You're just interested in, in ministering to their heart. And cry unto her that her, listen to this, that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Scholars agree that this is what we would call a double fulfillment prophecy. In other words, it had an immediate fulfillment, and then it had a fulfillment down the road. So... Its immediate fulfillment was Old Covenant. You sin, you get the wrath. All right. So Jerusalem had experienced God's wrath, and in this moment God is saying, you've experienced my wrath, the time is up, your, your, your time of bondage is over. All right. That's, that's the initial fulfillment. But there's, a, there's another fulfillment to it where this is speaking of every human being in this fallen world. And he's saying, listen, the warfare is over. The war is over. There is no war between me and you. We're at peace. 
You, how, how did we receive double for all our sins? Jesus did that. He took all, all the correction, all, all the chastisement, all the wrath. He took all of that upon Himself. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 5 teach this. He took all of that upon Himself so that we could go free. So that we can forgive when we've been hurt. So that we can re- receive healing when we need it. All right? Verse 3, this is. So he's saying here the time of punishment is over. Verse 3. The voice at him, the voice of him that cries in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now we know who's this speaking of? John the Baptist, right? So there is a literal fulfillment where the old covenant ended, the new covenant is about to begin. But likewise, listen, we have a message to people. Your sin has been dealt with. That which has hurt you, the person that hurt you, their sin against you, as far as God's concerned, dealt with. Okay? And now what's our job? To prepare the way of the Lord. In this situation, in this trouble, in this heartache, in this loss, our job is to prepare the way of the Lord. Our job is, we're not the way of the Lord. We're ambassadors for Christ. We're not Christ. We can't do the healing. All right? We, can't, we, we, we can only comfort as we've been comforted. Verse 4. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So what am I saying here? When you come upon someone who's in trouble, who's going through something, you want to be a good comforter, you remind them that this isn't forever you will see the glory of the Lord. You will see God show up in this situation. You you need to know that God is for you. We have a saying in our house, it's only temporary. Days that that we get stressed out with kids or kids, or, or work, or, or school, or whatever it is, we, we, one of us, all, me and Keisha, one of us always reminds the other one, this is temporary. Everything in this world is temporary. Everything. If it's a circumstance you're facing, it's temporary. I don't care if you, you've been told, listen, you got a day to live. It's temporary. Everything in this world is temporal. And listen, I need to hear it's temporary a lot right now with Finn. My gosh, he t- he's, whew, man, he's, he'd flip every one of these chairs over if he was here today. He's, he's wearing us out. It's temporary. But God is not. His comfort is not. His finished work is not. 
Paul said, we don't look at the things we see, but at the things which we don't see. Have you ever thought about that? He said, we don't look at what we can see, we look at what we can't see. Well, how do you look at something you can't see? All right, I love that verse. Our eyes are on the God who comforts, not the trouble. Our, our eyes are on the healing, not the pain. Our eyes are on the finished product. Our eyes are on the glory of the Lord. Amen? Our eyes aren't on those poor, miserable, awful, horrible chaplains. Guys, they were really bad. They, did I mention that? They stunk at their job. God bless them. I legit went and looked and seen if they were hiring for that job after. I was like, I will take your job. Like, you are so bad at that. I will take your job. I'm kidding. Um, has this blessed you guys today? Yeah. Amen. Well, listen, you're going to come across someone this week who needs comfort. You're probably going to do it before the end of the day. You're going you're to find someone, you're going to come across someone who needs comfort. And I pray that you be a good comforter. Not a miserable one and not a lying one. All right, guys. I just want to keep going, but I need to shut up. All right, all right. Anybody got anything to share? We've got.